Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for the second episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you watching this. Please make sure you help me get the word out about this program and like and share. I'm brand new to a lot of these platforms, so whatever you can do to help spread the word, it will be a great help and a blessing to me. So uh, get out there, like and share all those things you're supposed to do. And hopefully you will learn something from this program today and it will be a help to you. I do want to make a little announcement tomorrow and the next three days, actually, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. I'm going to have my first guest on the program. I'm going to have Pastor Patrick Boyle on the program. And I'm really excited about having him on here. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is really just... Um, you know, a lot of the hostility that comes from being different on this subject. And I don't believe that's right. And I'm really trying to concentrate this week on setting up really the spirit of this program. And I, this is not something I want to do to just be controversial. I know that helps with views. I know being controversial, provocative, all that kind of stuff, dramatic, that gets people engaged. But I just I think that's a lot of the problem that we're having today. It's all about the drama. It's all about who you're going to align with. And we never actually talk about the scriptures. And so uh, we're going to deal with some of the, you know, talk about some of the drama that's there, some of the things that can happen if you do not go along with the party line on these subjects, because it is a real thing. But um, that's kind of what we're going to focus on this week. And, and what I'm going to talk about a little bit Today, I'm going to be talking about sensationalism, contradictions, and prophecy, because when it comes to this subject, sensationalism is a huge thing, I mean, without a doubt, and especially we're seeing sensationalism being used whenever we're talking about the people who oppose us in our position, and just how heretical it is, and how terrible it is, and about you know this movement of post-trivers is just sweeping the nation, and this is just going to destroy Christianity, and it's like, Hey, calm down. It's not that big of a problem. It's not that big of a deal. But people do, they make a huge deal out of it. And I'm going to talk about uh, some of that, why they do it. Um, it is intentional and it's not right. And I don't want to turn it around on them. So again, this week is me setting myself up to make it where I'm going to have to eat my words if I become too big of a jerk when it comes to this subject. So Hopefully, hopefully we will uh, we'll stick to the original goal on this program. But what I do want to start out talking about is I want to read a passage for you in Matthew 17. Something to keep in mind when it comes to Bible prophecy. And understand, I am somebody who I have positions. I have strong opinions on all things prophetic. Okay, But at the same time... Um, I don't think it's being weak and I don't think it's be, you know me compromising when I say that you know I'm not going to be a jerk about it, that I could be wrong. I'm not just trying to put on some kind of fake humility or something like that. It's true that a lot of good people, I believe, are very wrong on prophecy. And historically, when you look in the Bible, people got a lot of things wrong on prophecy at Christ's first coming. And I want to read this passage in Matthew 17, verse 9. It says, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again 
from the dead. This was on after transfiguration when they see Jesus in his glory and they see Moses and Elijah. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also the Son of Man, uh, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. And I want to point out a few things here. First off, I don't know that the fact that they had seen Elijah up there is kind of what triggered this question. Like, hey, maybe they were thinking, was that the coming of Elijah right there? Because, I mean, we just saw him. He showed up there. But uh, I don't know for sure because Jesus had told them about his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And so they asked them, why are the scribes saying Elijah is going to first come? The guys who knew the scriptures well, this is what they're saying. Elijah is going to come first. And Jesus basically tells them that, you know, the scribes are right in the fact that they presented that Elias comes before the Messiah comes. They, they were right on that fact. But what Jesus also went on to proceed to show them is that they didn't notice that Elijah, when he did come, it was actually John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. So the thing is, the fact that the uh, or the the uh, fact that the scribes were stating was a true fact, but at the same time, they did not have a proper understanding of that fact. They did proper understanding of that prophecy, and so that prophecy literally was fulfilled right before their eyes. Now we can speculate a little bit too, and I'm all for this, and we can talk about this, but. Um, Notice how it says he's going to come and restore all things. Well, were all things restored then? Or is this still something that is going to be fulfilled? Um, you know, because we believe that Elijah is going to come back again as one of the two witnesses in the future. You know, I don't know for sure. All I know is that while they had certain facts right, they didn't properly understand this prophecy. And we need to make sure that we understand that while We've all in our minds imagined how certain things are going to play out. It might not play out. It might not look the way we think it's going to look. That kind of thing happened before, and it's going to happen again. Because you know, Malachi 4 or 5 was a very clear prophecy where it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So Elijah's clearly coming before the day of the Lord. and But again, there's a lot they didn't understand about that. I understand that, but their fact was right. The fact that they stated was right. When the disciples repeated the fact that the scribes were stating, Jesus told them, yeah, they got that right, technically, but they missed it. And not only did they not understand it, they killed John the Baptist. And interestingly enough, when Elijah comes, they're going to kill him too. Interesting, just an interesting fact right there. So just understand that in the past, people didn't understand prophecy, or at least it didn't play out the way they thought it was going to, even though they had certain facts right and thought it had a good grasp on it. We see in Luke 19.41, after Jesus' triumphal entry, 
says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So notice right there that Jesus was fulfilling a major prophecy here. This was the coming of the Lord, but the people, they were not ready. They were not ready. And as a result of that, judgment was pronounced on them. They were going to be destroyed. Their city was going to be destroyed. They were looking for the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, because it wasn't the way they had pictured it in their mind, they ended up rejecting Christ. And I'm afraid in the prophetic world that we are dangerously close to doing the same thing and maybe even are guilty of doing the same thing where we've taken certain facts about Bible prophecy and we've painted a picture in our mind of what that's going to look like and we have gotten overly dogmatic about the version we have come up with of what how that's going to look like, how it's going to play out, and we might be wrong about that. It may not be exactly the way we are picturing it in our heads. And so I'm just I say all this to say when it comes to prophecy, I don't think we're being weak. <clears throat> I don't think we're compromising when we say let's be careful about how dogmatic we are on this. For sure we should be talking about it. For sure we should be studying it, looking into it, trying to figure out whatever we can about it. But I'm I'm here today to tell you I think many people have gotten a little too anxious to just accept something from a prophecy guru, someone they like, and some things aren't that simple. They're good theories. It, that could be how it's going to play out, but are we sure our understanding is correct? Some things are hard to be understood. There are some things in the Bible that are just spelled out as plainly as can be. We're going through the book of Romans right now on Wednesday night in our church, and the Apostle Paul is going into great detail, as clear as you can possibly make it, just the truth about salvation, how someone is saved, how everything works with that. Salvation is very clear, and it needs to be. I mean, that's what determines heaven or hell, how we respond to the gospel. And the Lord has made that easy to understand to where even a child can understand it. But that is not how everything is in the Bible. In fact, Peter... In 2 Peter chapter 3.13, says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things, in which are some things hard to be understood, that which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So Peter says, hey, some of those things Paul's writing about are hard to be understood. And you know when it was the people who are unlearned, people who are unstable, 
Those were the ones, they were resting those scriptures. It's the difficult ones that people rest and that people twist to uh, teach some really bad theology. And so just understand, we, I think it's okay for us to be a little patient with people when it comes to difficult scriptures. He goes on to say, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And something that is more important than prophecy and what is to come, and that is proper teaching on what we need to know today. That is more important. And I think I confuse the daylights out of people because of the fact that I am not like most Baptists who when you disagree with me on something, I hate you and you're my enemy, especially when it comes to to eschatology. I do not do that. And it's like people are always looking and watching like, you know, what what are you trying to pull? You're trying to infiltrate or whatever. No, if I am more concerned about people lining up with me on what we are to be doing today, about the truth for today and how we're supposed to be living as a Christian, how we're supposed to be operating. Those are more important than things that I might not even live to see. Obviously, I'm interested in those things. There's a lot in the Bible about it. For sure, we ought to be able to study it. But I just don't understand why we can't even have a conversation about some of these things where we might disagree. And so I would rather fellowship with people who line up with me about truths that apply today and how we are to live our life today, about godliness, about good families, about good doctrine for today, people who line up with me on the gospel, people who line up with me you know, on the teachings of Jesus Christ, the things from the past, the things that are already done, the things that we have recorded in the scriptures. It's more important we're in agreement on those things and things in the present than things in the future that we might not live to see. And so understand that um, we've got to get our priorities right on this. And so if I find another Baptist who is lined up with me in how they live their life today, I'm not going to have any trouble fellowshipping with them if they have some disagreements about things to come in the future that we might not even live to see. And I think if you can't get a hold of that, I think it's just because of insecurity in your own position. That, that's what I believe. And I'm finding out more and more, the more, uh, you know, the more confident people are in their position, the more willing they are to talk to somebody like me, fellowship with somebody like me. It's the ones who are insecure, who are inconsistent. And they are the ones that all of a sudden go to the sensationalism and start getting really dramatic talking about people who've changed on eschatology. And, you know, again, I'm not here to fight with people, but if I wanted, I could play some clips of conference speakers and things just getting up and getting really dramatic, warning everybody about all those changing out there on eschatology. Watch out for those guys on the internet. I don't know about these people, you know, getting their theology from the internet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How come... It was, you know, we can sit there and listen to you go on and on about the greats of the past.
who used newspapers, who used radio, who used the media of their day to advance their teaching and who got large followings and who were very influential. I mean, a lot of those big names, they used the media of their day and they made a big impact and we talk about them like they're legends today and, and as this great authority. And then you have people today who are using a, the media of today, the internet, and are successful and are influential and all of a sudden, that doesn't count because it's not in, you know, because they're not using a newspaper and they're not using a radio. You know, that's very inconsistent right there. Here's what they're doing. They are in trying to intimidate the crowd that's there. They're trying to intimidate the listeners. Why don't you use the internet? Why don't you use today's media? Why do you still insist on using antiquated means? I mean, using you know, radio, newspapers, you know, newsletters, whatever, in the age of the internet is like me trying to have a phone call, you know, with the landline, you know, when we have cell phones available. Or better yet, some people are trying to use tin cans and a string when we have cell phones to communicate with people. And that's just, that's, that's ridiculous. And so there's, what they're doing is they're just kind of setting up the situation where these people don't count because they use internet. No, they're using the media of their day, like the Oliver B. Greens, who used radio in a very successful way and was very influential. Like Guys like John R. Rice, who used a newspaper back in the day when newspapers were a big thing. I've, and, and then you'll hear him get real dramatic too. How dare you listen to somebody who's not your pastor? And listen, you know, I don't, I'm not out there to undermine pastors. But at the same time, I don't understand why other pastors can be public about their stuff, why they can write books, why they can uh, have their sermons put in newspapers, why they can use radio, and they can even use internet, but I can't. That doesn't make sense either. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's some more inconsistency. Why is it that we are okay with pastors setting up Bible colleges where you are going to send your young people to be taught in that other church? That, you know, that's not their pastor. You're their pastor. But then somebody learns from another pastor on the internet. All of a sudden now that's terrible. Hey, understand these are all manipulative tactics to try to discredit opposition without having to address the opposition. If I hear somebody out there on the internet teaching something that I think is dangerous that contradicts what I teach, you know what I will do? I will use the internet and I will address what they are saying. And I will let people, they can hear what I have to say. And I can't stop them from hearing what the other person has to say. I can't make internet people go away, just like I can't make radio people and TV people and newspaper people go away. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make them go away. What I am trying to do is use my voice and use whatever tools I have at my disposal to get what I believe out there. And so these, these dire warnings about the internet people and all that kind of stuff, understand this is hypocrisy. This is a contradiction. And so just being all sensational about it, acting like it's this most dangerous thing, it's a power play to intimidate people into not changing. Something that I hear all the time. 
and I don't get offended by it. I've learned to just have thick skin when it comes to this stuff. And at the end of the day, when it comes to my independent fundamental Baptist brethren, uh, the ones that I'm close to that I fellowship with, I know them, they know me, I love them, I know they love me, and I don't take it personal when I don't, and we can't take it personal when they get up and they preach what they believe that is different than what we believe. You can't take it personal, but at the same time, I see through it when these guys, they get up and uh, the big names, especially at conferences, okay? At a conference, you are rarely going to hear somebody get up and really go deep into the scriptures uh, defending a position. Typically, you know, it's just motivational, rah-rah, get everybody amening and excited. Uh, not a lot of substance, typically. There, there's exceptions out there. But what I'm seeing all the time is guys, everywhere they go, you know, I'll follow their preaching and all they do is take the jabs. You know, I can't believe, I never thought I'd see the day when we, I would have to defend the pre-tribulation rapture and independent fundamental Baptist churches. Never thought I'd see that day. Okay, my, here's my first question. Why not? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address some major inconsistencies that all of you have seen before. So my question is, why not? If, if you believe that and you've been hearing this stuff like I have, shouldn't you not be surprised by, you know, when you see some of the foolish teaching that has been going on? What are you doing? That's your way of scaring all your underlings there into not going that direction without addressing the position. But understand, some of these people, they're going to actually look into these things, and you can't just do that. If you want to say that, that's fine. But then what you need to do, you need to go and say, here is why we believe the pre-tribulation rapture. Here's where these guys are wrong. Here's where we are right. You can't just throw those jabs out there. That's just that's a power play. It's an intimidation technique. And you know what? It works. It works with the types that are being put out by uh, your typical Bible college today. They are not strong doctrinally. They don't claim to be strong doctrinally. I've had many Bible college graduates that, you know, that will tell me, I didn't learn any doctrine in Bible college. You know, and then they get put out there pastoring. They don't know any doctrine. They only know a methodology. That's all they're really taught, a methodology. Old paths. And I'm for the old paths. But... You know, doctrine, getting strong on doctrine is what's going to help preserve these things. It can't just be about a movement. It can't about be being loyal to dead guys. And that, but that's what people are demanding. And so it's not working. So, um, you know, if I may now for these final moments, take some time to respond to uh, some of these accusations and questions that often come from conference pulpits that never provide any opportunity for a response. I'm going to tell you why many are listening to the internet people. Because why are people, I can't believe all these people abandoning the pre-trib doctrine. Listening to all those internet people. Why is that going on? You know, and I'll sit there and they'll, they'll be up there lamenting that. And I wouldn't do it, but you know, sometimes I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, um, I can tell you, do you really want to know? Okay. And obviously, they're not going to want to hear it there, and I wouldn't tell anybody there. But this is my podcast, my platform. I'm going to tell you now why that is happening. Let's talk about some of these major 
contradictions. Okay, one, the big one. This is being taught more and more by what I would call the uh, consistent pre-tribbers. Because uh, understand too, back you know, t- 10 years ago, back when I was changing on this, there was no coherent, non-heretical defense that I could find of a pre-tribulation rapture. The contradictions were endless. And so in the last 10 years, with, with this big move towards the post-trib doctrine, a lot of these things have been called out so much that your honest pre-tribbers are correcting a lot of mistakes. They're correcting a lot of things that they were doing wrong, correcting a lot of misuses of passages. We're seeing a lot of that. And that and that's good. But as a result, they don't have much left. And um, if I may, uh, you know, I... I do plan on in the future, I've got some of the newer non-heretical books uh, defending the pre-tribulation rapture. And I I look forward to talking about the errors there. I'm going to talk about what I appreciate about it, but also what's wrong. That's something that's going to come. But so understand some of these uh, contradictions I'm about to bring up. Some of you have fixed these things. And some of you listening to this, you're going to go, that's not, what, that's not what I teach. Yeah, but I'll bet you were 10 years ago. And I know you've heard this type of thing taught. I know you've done this. And understand, it's these type of mistakes and inconsistencies that cause other people to say, wait a minute, are, are we sure we're right about this? And it's going to get them looking into other positions. And so the big one, I had never heard this until 10 years ago. And that is that Matthew 24 was not the rapture. Now, I'm sure there were some people out there teaching that. I think probably most of your Ruckmanites were probably teaching that uh, more than 10 years ago. But let me tell you, most of your mainstream independent fundamental Baptists were teaching that Matthew 24 was the rapture. And even if you say, no, I've known for over 10 years that wasn't the rapture, you have preached Matthew 24 is the rapture. You have used Matthew 24 to prove a pre-tribulation rapture. And I'll show you several examples. So first off, how about uh, just a few things related to that. Let's start in Matthew 24, verse 27. It says, For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, just the other day, I heard somebody who doesn't believe Matthew 24 is the rapture, who I called them out about the the uh, teaching that we disappear at the rapture. Have you ever preached that before? Have you ever heard that before? That one of these days at any moment, just we're all going to disappear. Clothes are going to drop to the ground, just like in the Thief in the Night movie. The Thief in the Night movie? Is that what it's called? Thief in the Night? Is that where that came from? Thief in the Night, everybody disappeared, clothes fell, just like in the Left Behind movie. Everybody just disappeared, clothes fell. Nobody heard, you know, no unsaved people heard the trumpet, saw Jesus in the sky, anything like that, just disappeared. Where did, where does that disappearing teaching come from? Why is it that so many preachers when preaching on prophecy spend a whole segment of their sermon talking about the speed of the twinkling of an eye? Why did they, because that's where that comes from. The only verse they have is, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Okay, it doesn't say the return of Christ is going to 
all happen in a twinkling of an eye. It says we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, when Christ appears and we see him, we're going to immediately be like him. We will be changed, the Bible says. We will be changed. And so I pointed that out. It's not saying we disappear. It's just saying we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And, and Daniel talked about how the righteous are going to shine like the brightness of a firmament, kind of like Jesus did at his transfiguration. We're going to have a body like Christ. That's going to happen. We are going to be changed at the rapture. And so somebody said, well, now the whole thing happens in a twinkling of an eye. For as lightning shineth out of the east and even out of the west. See, that shows the whole thing's going to be that fast. Oh, so now Matthew 24 is the rapture again. Okay, so understand, and I do believe it's all going to be quick. But again, it still doesn't mean disappear. It doesn't mean people aren't going to see us change. It doesn't mean people, aren't, but we've, we've created this scene where it's a secret rapture. And that's another subject for another day. I don't believe in the secret rapture. I believe every eye shall see him. And I just lost some of you with that, but that's what I believe. So, uh, but Matthew 24, 27, when they need to prove the whole thing happens fast, all of a sudden, Christ coming as lightning, shining out of the east, even of the west, all of a sudden that is a rapture. I thought Matthew 24 wasn't about the rapture. When you talk about imminency, they go to Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and that hour, knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my father only. And one of the, biggest proofs of imminency people tell you or proofs of a pre-tribulation rapture is the doctrine of imminency i have that in books and they will say that one of the best proofs for the pre-tribulation rapture is the doctrine of imminency and i'm hoping very soon to address the doctrine of imminency and show uh, the errors in there and there is only one system that where you can still get imminency. And it's not the pre-tribulation dispensational position as they teach it. it it's not that. It's a system uh, that is very unique that not, not many people have. There is only one way to get imminency from the Bible. And we'll talk about that another day. Uh, we don't have time for that. But everyone teaches imminency. I have books where it will tell you Matthew 24 is not the rapture, but then on the later chapter, when it's proving imminency, it goes to Matthew 24. These are big problems that's causing people to take a look at things. People will tell you all the time, Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night. He's coming as a thief in the night. Thief in the night. They'll say that over and over again. That movie where everybody disappeared in the 70s called Thief in the Night. There are songs that he's going to come as a thief in the night, I'm looking for Jesus to come. That was a song we used to sing. It says he's going to come like a thief in the night. But wait a minute. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. There it is. But it says the day of the Lord. And Joel 2, 31 says the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So wait, no, the... The day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night, which I believe that's the rapture. But the pre many pre-tribbers are saying, no, that is not the rapture. The day of the Lord is not the rapture. And you know why? Because it has been pointed out to them that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon's going to be turned to blood. That And that is the sixth seal 
of Revelation. And then Jesus is going to come. And so all of a sudden now, you know, the sun being turned to darkness, the moon into blood that we see in Matthew 24, that's not about the rapture, even though the day of the Lord's what's coming as a thief in the night. So uh, I'm sorry, uh, that doesn't work. People say too, it can't be post-trib because, you know, when all these things start coming, uh, you know, we're going to know he's getting close and he won't be able to come as a thief in the night. Well, yet he still will be able to come as a thief in the night. Either way, you got you to gotta pick what argument you're going to use. Though, um, verse 37, another thing they will bring up. While saying Matthew 24 is not about the rapture, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. We're in those days right now, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 37, Matthew 24, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So how many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard preachers say it's going to be like in the days of Noah? In the days of Noah. That's in Matthew 24. The coming of the Son of Man is going to be like in the days of Noah. They're right when they're saying that. But now people are changing their position on that, even though they preach that, even though they've said that over and over again, because it's been pointed out that all of these things happen immediately after the tribulation. Or the sun is dark and moon and blood immediately after the tribulation. So uh, this is a big problem. And then we also hear people talk about there's going to be... You know, two in the field, one taken, another left. And that's where we get this left behind. You've got one, that's the only place where we see anything similar to that in the Bible. How many times have you heard left behind? We have a book series, the left behind book series. And I understand people are talking about being left behind before the left behind series. But all the only place in the Bible where we see anything similar to that is in Matthew 24, where it says, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. And people use that all the time to prove the rapture. It's going to happen quick. People are going to vanish. They're going to disappear. They're going to be taken from you. So is that the rapture? Is that not the rapture? Matthew 24 is the rapture when they need it to be, but it's not when they don't need it to be. That is a huge, huge problem and a huge inconsistency right there. People tell you too, rapture has to be imminent because Jesus said to watch. Well, Okay, and he did say to watch. You know where he said that? Matthew 21, 40, verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So again, are, are we going to say that that coming right there is not the same coming that we see earlier when he's coming in, uh, in the clouds? He's sending his angels to gather the elect? How can you say that's not the rapture? And understand, more and more people are saying Matthew 24 is not the rapture. And when you do, you defeat, you, you take away most of your eminency verses. Pretty, almost all of them. Almost. Not, not quite all of them. And there are, there's a few people I'm finding that are, are coming up with a consistent, non-heretical version of this. But when you look at what all they have left, how small it is, how little, it shows that this is just desperation and stubbornness that's causing them to hang on to this. And they're still flawed in that. And so what we have to do, you know, in a loving way, we need to keep calling out these inconsistencies. We need to keep showing uh, these errors 
that they're making, these contradictions, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so this is why people are abandoning this position. For years, you all have been using Matthew 24 to teach imminency, to teach people to watch, to tell, talk about how people are going to be left behind, how we're going to disappear super fast. You've been doing that, and now all of a sudden, because it's been pointed out that it all happens after the tribulation, you're saying Matthew 24 is not the rapture. You got you to gotta answer for that. And so, um, you know, I'm thankful for those who are at least addressing this without going into his to heresy. But for a long time, it was only the Ruckmanites that were addressing these things. And they ended up making Baptists look really, really bad because they did go into heresies to protect this doctrine and we're teaching multiple gospels, multiple kingdoms, multiple raptures. I mean, just all kinds of really weird heretical teachings. And so I'm not really interested in those people. Uh, I'm not really interested in talking to those people. I, I don't consider Ruckmanites uh, independent fundamental Baptists. If, the, if you believe in multiple gospels, uh, I put you in a completely different camp uh, than the normal people. But again, don't, don't mistake, you know, the fact that I'm pointing out these inconsistencies and uh, contradictions. Uh, you know, I, I don't hate you because of that. I, I, believe, uh, I believe you have every right to uh, be wary of any type of change, for sure. In fact, one of the things I'm planning on addressing with Pastor Boyle, you know, is the fruit of post-tribbers. A lot of you are watching for the fruit. And it is, uh, you know, in as far as in IFB circles, for a long time, they successfully ran out everybody who would change on eschatology. And, but, um, but there's a lot, but the difference is back then, they still had a lot of flaws. We're going to probably talk about that in one of these. And so uh, as a result, it never really took hold. I believe that a lot of these inconsistencies have been addressed, fixed, and uh, and I, what's important is that the people who are promoting these things actually be true, independent, fundamental Baptists uh, who love, you know, the Bible, uh, the preservation of Scripture, and are honest with the Word. Uh, you know, it's it's important that we hang on to that and don't take it personal if you do get these things fixed and you get attacked. It is not a reason. It is not an excuse to throw out all the good things that the IFB is teaching. They're, they're teaching way more good than they are bad. But at the same time, I want to be able to talk about these things. I want to be able to have a conversation. I want to be able to, even to have a, you know, somewhat heated or passionate discussion about these things and still walk away being friends and walk away sharpened by this discussion because we all have a lot to learn and if I'm if there's an inconsistency in what I'm teaching I want to know and I don't want to and, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful to not lock myself into positions because if I get something wrong I don't want to stay wrong I, I want to get it right and I'm afraid many have just locked themselves into goofy positions and I don't think that's good I don't think that's healthy so anyway we're gonna um, shut this program down for today but make sure you listen tomorrow uh, and Thursday and Friday 
as I have Pastor Patrick Boyle from Revival Baptist Church in Orlando. It's I know it's going to be a great discussion. Uh, he's a great pastor, and I know you will be blessed by that program. So thank you for watching. Again, help us get the word out about this. Like it, share it, subscribe, follow, and uh, help us spread this message. Appreciate it so much. God bless you. We will see you all tomorrow.